Tabletop Game Talk, a show where we talk about tabletop games and gaming topics of all kinds. This week, we're talking about playtesting. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Rarely does a game go through to pub... I should have read this before. (laughs) (sighs) Chris did not write English, guys. And I am not editing any of this, so you just fix it on the fly. Are we starting over now? No. 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 I'm just reading this. (laughs) Don't pretend like we're professional. (laughs) Rarely does a game go through to published without a lot of playtesting. From thought to published. Go from thought to... Yep. Sure, maybe there's been a Kickstarter or two that skipped this step, but most games are tested, changed, and tested some more for months or even years before they are published. Today, we are going to talk about the different kinds of playtesting and why it's so easy for playtesters to miss things that might have become obvious once the game is released, much like my brain did with this paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) We should playtest the intro. I should have. I should have playtested the intro. I did read it, but my brain is better at reading than my mouth. (laughs) I think that's true. I would also like to thank our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, and The Gift of Games in Grace Lake, Illinois, at thegiftofgames.com. I can only assume this kind of (laughs) shenanigan is why they enjoy us, because otherwise, poof. Yeah, it's not the content. It really is not the content. (laughs) Um, thanks all of our patrons. You're all awesome. Also, if you want to join our Zoom audience, where we actually did a good 15 minutes of pre-show show talk that we're not going to rehash here. So you get 15 minutes of bonus show on that one. Um, also join our Discord because we're all cool. Although I have been neglecting Discord for the past two weeks. Um, I apologize. Work has been insane. This week, things are getting a little bit better. And hopefully tomorrow, life will be a little bit easier where I can... Ignore work during the day and play board games and talk on Discord. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, every once in a while, I do actually have to do a job that doesn't involve games. Also join our BGA group because I have a bunch of games I need to start and play and I need people to play with. Our Next Station London tournament continues. I think we started round two yesterday. So maybe that's... like late last night, maybe. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so that's continuing strong i think that we have a good group of uh competitive players the scores are all pretty darn high and i'm I'm a little nervous i lost I'm my first upset. game <laughs> i <laughs> i came in third my first game so um, ouch yeah that wasn't great this game um i'm on my we just started our third pencil and um i'm catching up but it's always hard because, like, with the pencil powers, it is not balanced. So, like, you know, whoever has the one with the times two, their score is going to look good early. Yes. And then the, if you and have that's the what times I keep telling myself. End, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to be fine. You'll be I'm fine. not. I'm not going to be fine. I keep going into these. My ELO is just taking such a hit from this tournament. <laughs> I think <sighs> you're going to be just fine. Uh, we're on our second pencil just started so we're, we're making decent progress on it um uh, but yeah so we're having a lot of fun there it, it is one of those games that requires a lot of turns but each turn doesn't require a lot of thought so it's, mm-hmm. i feared a little bit but i put a cap of a week on it i don't know if any game actually timed out i know one or two may have come close to timing out but uh, actually i don't think they would have timed out because if it started on yesterday the timeout was this morning so seems like everyone finished their game we should be in in good shape so yeah so anyway those are all of our discord and bga plugs how are you guys doing fletcher you've been gone for what four months five months um what have you been up to yeah five months um no so i was gone the past two weeks the first week i was gone um carmen had a rough week at a rough day rather at work she's a nurse um, so, you know, I had to be a husband and, uh, you know, be there for my wife. I know it's the terrible. worst. <laughs> um, and then last week I was actually in LA for my grandmother's 90th birthday. So you were being a good husband and a good grandson. Yes. Gross. We hate that. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then I visited the orthodontist, which is why I might sound a bit different than normal. I'm lisping a little bit because I have a I have a Invisalign on. Because you're a 14 year old boy today. Because I'm a 14 year old boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are glad to have you back, where your priorities should lie. Um, I also didn't see with your name on the with the podcast, <laughs> and I didn't see your name on the Next Station London tournament. So. I'm a little disappointed. That's because when I was playing Next Station London for the <laughs> for the convention, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't make a move. I can't do anything. And I'm like, oh, well, I could click this pencil. Oh, now I can make a move. Okay. Uh, sure. This works. And um, I was actually in the lead for, you know, a long time, actually, and just clicking random stuff. I was trying to figure out the game by, uh, by playing it. And I'm like, okay, I can't go here. Why can't I go here? Can I go here? Okay, I could go here, but I couldn't go there last time. Why is that? It was like a puzzle. So, Actually, that's kind of a neat game by itself. It's just the puzzle. Yeah. Um, this Wednesday, you should try to hop on with us, and we will actually teach you how to play. Because it's fun. <laughs> and it's yeah. not hard. So we are now inviting Fletcher. He's on our Wednesday game list. And I've had to cancel the last two, three weeks? So no, we played this. We played last week. Oh, we did play last week. Yeah. But it was the so previous the, two weeks. I canceled. canceled the previous two weeks. No, you, um, you did cancel three weeks because you canceled two weeks in a row for guests. I did. But it wasn't on purpose. In any case, Fletcher still doesn't join us, even when Chris we invite him. Chris keeps doing things to me not on purpose. Is that it's a good not, segue? So when no, I don't it's join. A good, it's a good segue. Okay. All right. All right it's we're my talking problem. About, but when it, you don't I have join, a it's grievance. because stuff is going on that's important. <laughs> I have a grievance to air, though. I have been available, number one, all the time. Uh, Number two, Chris invited me at the end. Was it the end of last week's podcast or was it after games? I don't know. It was at the end of of games. So it was Wednesday night. Wednesday night, Chris goes, oh, I'm just going to start a two-player wingspan game um, on BGA (laughs) because I haven't played it yet. And I was like, okay, sure, fine. I like playing wingspan. I haven't played it on BGA. (laughs) And Chris has done a thing where he has filled his entire bottom row of the board with, and that is the one where you draw cards. And he has filled it all with birds that allow you to tuck a card and draw a card. And so all he does every single turn is he draws cards and he puts them all behind his birds and he scores five points just for doing that every single turn. Yeah. He does not. And he draws them off the top of the deck. So he's not even like shuffling through so I can see the good birds. No. It's, he's just it's, miserable. <laughs> so in fairness, I this is the strategy that I found. So I mean, Fletcher and I actually, um, Kitty went away. So Fletcher and I were talking about the wing, for, wing forge. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great game. Yeah. Yeah. Please make this um, game. Yeah, Wing Forge will be the next game that we uh, review. The we talked about the Forge Span, Wingspan <laughs> app, <laughs> and I mentioned how the app killed the game for me. I have no mm-hmm. desire to play this game after playing the app because when you have an app of a game, you can play it over and over and over. And two reasons why I didn't like the Wingspan app is one, it's so cumbersome and clunky, but two kind of degenerated into this strategy of, well, if I just put birds in the bottom row that tuck, I can just get points all the time. And no other move makes sense. That's the only move that makes sense is to get five points around. And yeah, so I'm like, when I was playing with Kitty, I drew my opening hand and I had two of these cards where tuck a card, draw a card. So I'm like, okay, well, they're cheap birds. I'll put them in the bottom row. And as you draw cards from the bottom row, you get more options to see more birds with this exact same power. So eventually, I filled up the entire bottom row with this. And then I'm like, I don't have anything better to do than just mm-hmm. play draw cards, tuck cards. And I'm thinking of this from Kitty's point of view. And I'm like, this is this is miserable. Just miserable. Mm-hmm. Every single round, I get more points than you. And this is one of those, it shows you your score as you go. Maybe if it didn't show you the score as you go, it wouldn't be as bad. I don't know. You is tell it showing me. us our, our entire total score or I is it not it is. counting the tucked cards yet? I think it's counting the tucked <laughs> cards because my mine keeps going okay. up. Okay. Then it's not it's actually not so bad because our scores are not I I've fallen behind 
but not so far behind <laughs> that it feels awful. Let me go back and look at my score. There is um, one turn left in the game. Okay, so now, like two turns ago, it didn't see... Not two turns, but like when we started at the beginning of this night, um, my score was probably like 40-something, and Chris had like almost 60. And now my score is still 49, and his score is 81. <laughs> 81 um, so, points by just doing this, by just yeah. doing this thing. And it makes the game feel awful. Yeah. So we're talking about playtesting today. And I understand that Wingspan is a beloved game. And and rightfully so. I mean, the game is pretty. You can teach it to anybody. Uh, but if you go to the BGA forums, and I have not, I've only heard about it. There is a number of threads on essentially degenerative st- strategies to this game. Um, I know that just collecting eggs is a strategy. Apparently, I I don't know how that strategy works. I just know that it's a thing. Um, and then I'm doing the tucking card strategy. And what it comes down to is if you just pick a single thing to do and only do that thing, then you don't have to play the game. You just keep doing the one thing. And Stonemaier games, they do play testing. Like They knew this existed. And I think the real reason why it let they let this go out this way is because at two players, these types of strategies become easier to develop as you can kind of find the cards you want. Also, there's something like 140 cards, 140 burrs or something like that in the game, maybe more. And so the odds of getting the exact right cards you need to do this, maybe it doesn't seem like a lot. But I've been able to do this in most of the games of Wingforge. Wingforge. Wingspan. You're going to keep doing it. <laughs> I'm just, I just want to play Wingforge now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm wondering, if this was caught in playtesting, what would they have done about it anyway? Right? It's like, well, yes, you could do that. But it, as Kitty said, it goes against the spirit of the game. So, you know, maybe we just let it be and let the players themselves kind of work it out. Um, I don't know if that's working because we're now doing our final score on the game mm-hmm. right now live. And I think it's just recalculating the same scores. You had more points than me in birds. I think that makes you feel better. Yeah. Cause I played the game, right? <laughs> I mean, if somebody you- had played against me, I, I mean, I don't think I, if you're looking at like, you know, good scores in wingspan, I don't think I did great, but. <sighs> so this is still tallying. Um, I didn't make any of my goals. So this, the final scores of this came down to 86 to 71. Um, and I, I did a uh, Google on what is a good wingspan score. And accordingly, apparently the internet tells me 110 is a good wingspan score. <laughs> so neither of us got a good score. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> If you're, I guess if you're playing solo or something, like that's a great score. Um, I don't know. So this this strategy isn't great. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to go and win tournaments with this or anything like that. But it is one of those things where you get yourself into a situation where it's like, well, I don't know that I want to do anything else. And I, I don't know. If, like, but I if think I had... if we had one more player, if somebody was engaging with the board at all in the way that I expected a human to engage with the board, it wouldn't have been so bad. Because the thing about it was, it wasn't just that you were scoring these points. It's that you were not moving the board state at all for me. So I was basically solo playing. Yeah, he wasn't picking food. He wasn't picking up the bird cards that you can see. Just leaving the board state exactly how I saw it the last time I saw it. Occasionally, like for the first, you know, whatever, how many turns it took him to get his engine built, he would pick food occasionally. But like twice, literally yeah. twice. <laughs> mm-hmm. I needed to play one bird. And I'm like, oh, yep. man, this seems like a wasted action. I play I play this action. I get a food. And mm-hmm. that's why I didn't play anything else. Because I'm like, I could get five points or a food. I get five points or <laughs> two eggs, which I did once. Um, but it's... Yeah, so or, yeah, Christopher asks, if it wasn't fun, was it was winning worth it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, so it inspired a winning topic. Winning is always worth it. It's always worth it. And on BGA, your first win gives you an achievement on any given game. So I like when I win a game that I don't want to play again because 
then I got the achievement and I'm, I'm happy there. Um, I don't think I'd ever play Wingspan again on, I don't know, I, almost period. Like, I, I just think it's a bad game. <laughs> it's a shame because I do think, I don't know, like, just because you can break the game doesn't mean you should. Because I do Agreed. think this broke the game. <laughs> it did break the game. It, it broke it the broke game the for game. us. It broke the yeah, like. But- I don't know if I want to play the game again. <laughs> they should play test it to make sure that you can't break the game. And I see a couple of really easy fixes to this issue. Yeah, like it. It seems like with a few minor changes, you couldn't do this. Yeah, and and I think that like you know you mentioned one before we started recording where I was all of these cars were in the water lane. And so they're all Mm -hmm. water birds. And the water lane also allows you to draw cards, which allows you to fish for cards that have this strategy. The drawing cards by itself doesn't matter because these birds, it's tuck a card, draw a card. So you just exchange a card. A, they could say tuck a card without drawing a card. Yes. And then you're capped to three max because you can draw three and then tuck them all. Like there's no reason you have to draw a card for these these powers. You're already getting a point. Why are you getting a card as well? Mm Mm-hmm. So that's one way. The other way is you could have put them so they're not in the draw a card lane. So it's it's harder to mm-hmm. fetch for those types of birds. So you can put them in other places. Now, obviously, neither of those things happened. And we don't know why, right? It's it's one of those I things where... I also think it would be nice if you had um, a maximum hand size, too. <laughs> I don't know if that would entirely fix this issue. But at the end of the game, Chris was holding 30 cards in his hand. I think 36, because I had two more turns after you pointed that out the first time. Over 30 cards in his <laughs> yeah. hand. I, I feel it's like... It's absurd. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how... It, maybe this would break the game in other ways, but if they just added a simple word, tuck a card or draw a card, that yeah. would limit you to uh-huh. five points every other turn anyway, right? Because you could draw five cards. It would limit turn, him to... Could, to you three, five cards. three points a turn because you could three only points. pick up three yeah. cards in other ways. Yeah. Right. But yeah. So the, the conversation we're having right now, if you've ever been part of a playtest group, this is exactly the type of conversation that happens. Someone will play a game and they'll point out, point out, hey, I did this. And then you have a bunch of people all talking about why they think it is or is not a problem. And you have the lead designer um, usually the lead developer at that point. Playtesting is usually the developer has taken over. Um, there is playtesting that happens during the design of the game, but uh, we'll talk about late game playtesting. Uh, we're actually talking about all of it, but for this particular case, <laughs> it'd be a developer saying, hey, do I think this is a problem or not? And mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll decide whether or not I want to make a change to it. Now, this was in, uh, I'm almost 100% positive. This is Jamie Stonemeyer's actual call like he let this go out so this could be played because i'm certain that most games didn't you know degrade to this particular strategy um but there's another reason why this may have gone out no one may have noticed it it is entirely possible (laughs) um i don't know how long has this game been out like six years it took six years for someone to do this to me and i played this game a lot (laughs) And, and maybe and, it's just, it took you getting the app, because you mentioned this. This was a strategy you found playing it over and over again solo on the app. And if you didn't have that app, I don't know how long it would take you to figure this out unless you are going through these forums and finding, like, ways to break games. And I don't know, like, I did we ever get around to doing an episode on the circle of trust? Because I feel like at that point, you're <laughs> breaking have. the circle yeah. of trust. <laughs> so I think another reason why it may have been argued that, no, this is okay, is because the scores aren't broken. It's not like mm-hmm. I'm, you know, that this strategy will get you over 100 points every single time. It just gets you a good score. And... It means and you're probably not just doing a better anything. score than the, than your opponent in a two player game, which is really in all this that pa- matters, right? In this particular especially situation, especially since you're not altering the board state in any way, so they're kind of like stuck having to like fish for everything themselves. Yeah. Now, if Kitty had found cards and knew what I was doing, and she found some cards to say, okay, every time uh, your neighbor takes the draw a card action, you get this bonus. She may have actually benefited from what I was doing in that degenerative way. Do those. Cards exist? 
I, is, there's some cards that like watch what your opponent's doing and then you get a, a something when your opponent does something, right? I would like have the... to look at what you played. I only think one of your birds had the hunt action, and that's the only one I can think oh, of that, that does that. Because so, a lot of them have the the swoop bird action. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> yeah. Now, and, and here's another thing. We're calling this broken, and we're we're saying like adamantly, this is this is no fun. This should never be allowed to happen. But let's say we did make the changes that we talked about. And we said, okay, well, these birds can only be played here. Or you can tuck a card, draw a card. And now you play test this. And all of a sudden, wow, we've just nerfed an entire class of power that normally is not an issue. And because we did this for this one degenerative strategy, we've actually made the game worse as a whole. And now you have to start saying, okay, what's the trade-off here? What do we do? How do we fix that? Yeah, I hear you. And I'd be curious to know if this came up in playtesting, if it was changed and changed back, if, you know, these things came around. I'm just, it's really interesting to think about, like, you know, this is like a post-mortem of their playtesting. We don't have any of the data. I don't know if these things came up even. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It breaks the spirit, though, right? You it, can say... It wasn't... This game wasn't fun to play, and I don't want to play it with you again, which <laughs> I think is a very large problem with a game. Yes. I, and I would agree with you. And But there's a lot of people listening who love Wingspan way more than I do. Uh, maybe not as... Like, you've played Wingspan infinitely more than I have. Figuratively, infinitely, infinitely more than I have. And you liked sure, it up until today. I did. And I, I certainly don't want to play two-player on BGA ever again. Um, and I'm curious. I might start a three and a four-player game on BGA just to see what the difference is. And you're not invited. Don't invite me. Or you're allowed to be invited. But I want to see then if you want to try the same strategy, if having another player at the table breaks that strategy. Because I don't know when you're playing in the app. I never bothered I have, listening to that episode or playing the app. <laughs> I have failed at this strategy when I just couldn't get the engine started. Because you have to, within the first yeah. couple turns, you need to have at least one card to start it up to make it mm-hmm. worth ta- constantly taking that draw action over and over. Um, but, alright, so let's talk about playtesting a little bit. What is playtesting? Fletcher and I have been in the software industry for a while. Um, Kitty, have you ever been... And I think I know the answer to this, but have you ever been in a field where QA, quality assurance, is part of the process? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, and, a little, but not really, no. All right. Didn't so, you train so, as a meteorologist? Um, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> no, QA and meteorology. <laughs> um, I had to get my subtle dig in. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That was subtle. That was not very good. I mean, that is the closest place I've come to it, though. It's like, um, there's if you're definitely no QA going on there. Um, anytime you're designing a program, and a lot of um, weather predictions are based on computer models, and yep. those go through a lot of QA. But yeah, Miles mentions I that didn't get in, into that. <laughs> he's in the scientific industry, and like it's fifty percent of his job is is QA. Yeah. So we're going to shorthand yes. QA for quality assurance. QA is also. A, a synonym for playtesting because that's what you're doing when you're playtesting something is you're assuring quality. Um, all of my career has involved QA to some sort of another. Software does this, games do this, and when you're a game developer, as I was for a good portion of my career, there's a lot of QA. People think that QA... There's a couple misconceptions that I kind of want to clear up um, about QA in general, and specifically being a game tester. One, people think that, you know, there's a, f- a fleet of game testers. I think that's the plural of game testers is fleet. A fleet <laughs> of flock, maybe it's a flock, a gaggle of game testers that are constantly testing every permutation to make sure that nothing slips through. That is not true. There are three dudes with some Mountain Dew and Doritos sitting in a dark basement on a couch, literally playtesting these games playtesting play a broken game <laughs> playtesting a broken game which this leads is me to number two not very fun yeah people think that like being a game tester would be the most amazing thing it is the worst job you can ever have because i mean there are worse jobs yes but in in this field as far as like hey i want to be in game development 
it is the worst job of game development because all you're doing is playing a game that isn't finished, trying to break it, and then trying to make a case that why something is broken or isn't broken or whatever. It is a grueling, grueling job. It is miserable, and I appreciate everyone who does it. But if you get an, an average game, any any copy of a game, and open it up, and you find the playtester credits, if they have playtester credits at all, you are likely going to find less than 12 people have playtester credits. Because that's how hard it is to find people who can playtest games in the first place. And especially people who are, like, there's a lot of people. If I said, hey, do you want to playtest Magic the Gathering? I can find a lot of playtesters for that, right? But most of those people aren't qualified. I don't want to say qualified. They're not coming at the game from a quality assurance point of view. They're coming at it from a player point of view. I want this broken card, or I want this, um, you know, this is bad, or this, this particular color needs this or that. And they're looking at it in a game player's view, which is very helpful for playtesting, but not really what you need to do as a playtester. So you get a certain amount of input from them, but it's not always great. And it's just you have to shift through it as a designer. So yes, grueling, painful, hard to find playtesters. Someone mentioned on a game I was trying to like say this rule is like I would change the rule and make it this way. Someone actually came back and said they playtested this game. They knew what they were doing. And I wanted to respond back. How many playtesters have you met? (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't. Because instead, I just figured I'd do a, a podcast topic on it. So anyway, yeah, that's that's where we're starting with this. Thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it I when agree. you just give me a really open-ended, weird Well, let me ask like you that. this. Kitty, <laughs> would, you, would you ever want to be a playtester? It depends on the game. Um, and it depends on who's asking me. I have playtested games for you before. Uh, I remember a couple games. And it was fun, and I liked doing it, but it was because I was playing around with you and Sydney, and I don't think we even got very far into actually playtesting the game. Um, but it was still fun, and like I don't think we got to, because I think what you're trying to get at is like good playtesting, you don't play the game to have fun playing the game. You want to play the game like, how broken can I make this strategy? What extreme can I take this to? What if I just do this thing? You have to play the game in in a different kind of way than if you're just like doing it to have fun. Yeah. Um, and I also, if you're a designer, you have to be careful how much you use your friends and family for playtesting because if they get too close to the game, they become as biased as you are. Yep. And, if you, and if you use them too often, they will get burned out and not want to test the game anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's it's balancing act. And, and there's a certain amount of blindness that comes from like the more familiar you are, familiar you are with a game, the harder it is for you to accidentally break it. Yeah. Like the the better you know the rules, the better you're following them, the better you're using a good strategy, you are becoming a worse and worse playtester. <laughs> yeah. So Fletcher, same question to you. Would you want to playtest? games of any kind video game board game whatever no not at all <laughs> <laughs> i hate testing my own stuff <laughs> yeah. and that's where i was at like and i've mentioned it before when i was in um you know video game development i could never play a game that i worked on because you play it so much when it's broken when it's not done that when it finally is done you're like i'm glad someone else enjoys this but i've just played this for two years like, I don't want to look at this anymore. Now, I do want to give a shout out to Courtney because um, she's she just mentioned that she says it takes a certain person. Uh, she's yes, played tested almost 100 games and gets paid to read rule books and loves it. Now, I have worked with a lot of great QA people and they love what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I really respect Courtney that she can do this and still loves to play games on top of this. Because there's a balance there, right? It's like, I'm playing all these broken stuff, and now now I get to play this published stuff. So, Courtney, I am curious. I'm going to ask you, um, do you play the final versions of the games you play test? Like, how often does that happen? Um, because I'm wondering, like, depending on how much you play test the game, you can break the game for yourself, right? You can see these flaws, and you know what the arguments were. And she said so she owns a few that she has is in the credits of. So... And the thing is, when you have these 
when you play test something, you're like, oh, this really needs to be fixed. And then it ends up not being fixed. Sometimes, especially if you have an ego, <laughs> such as me, I do. I'll look at him. It's like, they didn't fix this. I told him to fix it. It's broken. I never want to see this game again. And you just get frustrated, right? So like that can happen as well. So that's another like a playtester quirk where it's like... This reminds me of your feud, I want to say, with the Keyforge community and the going to time rules. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm pretty sure the feud is going to end in... Because I had a talk with Christian Peterson at Gen Con, and <laughs> I've gotten hints that the feud is going to end with them adopting my change. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean... I, I'm, I have always been on crossed. your side because I have been a victim of the going to time rules before. And it's, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, there, there's only so much railing you can do against <laughs> the system. Yeah. Well, Courtney also mentions there are definitely games that they like their house rules better. And mm-hmm. I've never been a person. I think once you're in game design, you kind of go one of two ways. You look at a game as great, this is a snapshot of the rules. Had it been in development for a month longer, it would have been a different snapshot because the rules are always changing up until someone says, stop changing it, we're publishing it. Um, And you say, I can make changes because, hey, it's just a game. Anyone can make changes to it. Or you're like, I'm going to respect the design process and whatever is printed in the rules, that's how I'm going to play it. And I'm not going to even consider changing it because that's not my place. I was a designer and I didn't want people changing my rules. So I have no right to change their rules. I don't think either side is wrong except for the second one. But I do think that you will come away with a certain sense that rules are fluid and they can change. And the version of the rules that are on the page is how they ended up, but they're never going to be perfect. You're always going to find the degenerative strategy someplace in in these games of any complex system. And you got to do trade-offs, right? It's like, yes. Is there ways of making Wingspan not fun for Kitty? Yes. Do we change the entire game because of that? (laughs) Eh, that's a harder question to ask. Karen says yes, but, you know. I (laughs) am really curious. I kind of want to play a couple games house-ruled like in person, get together and see if we can fix this strategy without breaking the rest of the game. I will say this. What we should do is just play again and see if you knowing that I could potentially exploit this strategy, if you're able to stop me. Because part of it is you didn't even know what I was trying to do. I didn't know what you were doing until it was too late. Because once you have three of them, it's too late. Right. And until you have three of them, it looks normal. <laughs> right. It doesn't look like there's anything wrong there. It doesn't look like anything's wrong with the board state, especially because I think one of your first ones was one of the hunting birds as opposed to the just straight draw and tuck. Bird. There was, yeah, there was one hunting bird. I think it's the second one I played, maybe the third. Yep. It was one of the yeah. second or third. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, with you knowing and you being able to stop it, maybe it's not a problem. And this is another thing with playtesting where seeing a problem once doesn't actually mean there's a problem there. Mm -hmm. And you can spend, imagine that you have limited number of hours on playtesting because you do. How much time do we spend on this one problem versus, well, now we're ignoring entire swaths of the rest of the game. And now maybe something else that's even worse ends up getting out there because we kept focusing on this one issue that may or may not have been a problem. Mm-hmm. And you can start to see where playtesting is not a perfect science. It's not easy. So, um, all right. So I did make some notes here on types of playtesting. And I, I kind of just want to run down these because um, I grabbed this from a site on uxdesign.cc where really UX, which is user experience design, there's a lot of testing in that field too. So if someone's developing a professional web page, you're putting it in front of people, you're seeing if they can navigate it without instruction. You know, there's a balance to that. There's a reason why when you open up your, you know, phone, 99% of the things you do are intuitive because they've been tested to the point where we want to make sure we don't need an instruction manual for our phones anymore. So the first type of play testing here is really early in the process. And this is where you're testing things solo. It's typically the designer playing the game against themselves to see how it goes. 
Then the second one is what Kitty alluded to, which is quick play testing. Here are the rules. We're going to try this. Let's play it out. But the designer's right there as well and can like tweak things and change things on the fly. And like, okay, that's not working or this card costs too much or something, whatever. Let's change that and then continue the game playing with this or restart the game, you know, or here's a setup and we're going to play it from this point on. So it's, it's a bunch of different possible scenarios we're setting up. And we all know we're not playing a full game. We're just doing some, you know, quick tests. The third version is guided. And I think this is where a lot of playtesting stops. Um, guided is the designer or the developer is there. There's a group playing the game. They're teaching the game. And then they're watching and answering questions as people play the game. This is usually when the game is fairly developed. And they're just kind of seeing what where the rough edges are. And I think that most games, and this is pure conjecture, but I think that most games, especially Kickstarter games, um, stop at this point. They watch how the game is played, and they're good. Car Wars, someone mentioned in the chat how you know Steve Jackson, Terrence actually mentioned how Steve Jackson games um, and Car Wars. And anyway, yes, Car Wars, I think, stopped at this level. I think they stopped at this guided approach. I don't know they ever did a blind play test. Um, partly because I think Steve Jackson Games is overly paranoid and would never want to send their game to someone. But they have they have told me that they have playtesters. I just, I don't know. Maybe I should check the book and, and see how many people have different last names than the designers. So that's another thing. When you look at playtesters, look at the last names. They almost always match the rest of the credits. It's, it's family and friends that they're giving credits for playtesting. Um, the third kind is extreme playtesting. And that's where you're trying to break the game. What do you do? Like, your sole goal is to try these degenerative strategies and break the game. Um, these can be very valuable, especially in, like, you know, uh, complex system games, Euro games, those types of things. And then finally, the best type of playtesting, but the hardest to do, is blind playtesting. This is where you put blindfolds on everybody and see if they're able to play the game. <laughs> That was a stupid joke. I'm ashamed of myself for laughing at it. I was talking a lot and I figured I'd just see if people were paying attention. I was, but you made me ashamed. I'm more ashamed of this than I am about not realizing your strategy <laughs> wingspan. All right, Kitty, what is blind playtesting? Um, as you have written here, you hand the the game off give them the rules, and you stay out of it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. It's it's giving someone a copy of the game and saying, yeah. play this. Now, the reason this is so hard to do is, A, you have to have a decent rule book at this point so they can learn from the game. And B, you don't really know what happened unless you're also mm-hmm. having those blind play testers record the session or you're watching from like a two-way mirror or something, which most <laughs> publishers are not doing. I've been in many... <laughs> Where- what police station are you playtesting games in, Chris, with a two-way mirror? <laughs> I've been in a bunch of focus groups where when we're developing software, we do focus groups where we bring people in and we watch them go through the motion. Someone will be running the session and we're just, the people who have any relation to the development of whatever we're making of the product, we don't get to interact with them at all. We literally mm-hmm. just watch them go through this. And that's a form of blind testing. But you're normally not getting that when you send a game to somebody and say, okay, try this out. Because you don't know if they're Mm -hmm. getting a rule wrong, right? They could come back and say, oh, this sucks. This happened, this happened. And then you find out later, it's like, oh, you were playing this rule wrong. We The problem wasn't the game. The problem was we didn't, you know, make this clear enough. Or maybe the group themselves missed it. So this is why blind playtesting- I play by wrong rules all the time. All the time, exactly. (laughs) So, and, you know, for Courtney saying that she's tested all these games, I bet a lot of it was, here's the game, here's the rules, try it out. And if you're good at this, you're going, she says 95% of those, you're going to be reading these rules very closely. And you're going Mm -hmm. to make sure you're following those rules as exact as you can, because you want to be as accurate to what the rules say as you can. And you're going to report very specifically the problems you had and why. And, you know, we did a whole episode on rule books, but I think that the, they they kind of go hand in hand with playtesting and rule books. Um, technical writing is really difficult. Yeah. Really, it is a college level course that I remember Spencer taking, and it is wild. 
uh, the the skill level that goes into really good technical writing and being able to like edit convey that and be able to detail. read no not just to to convey to to do it but also to proof it is really yep. hard because you have to have the skill too you you don't want to I don't know somebody who doesn't get it coming in and you know doing a well, bad job because they they don't know how it goes either. Yeah, oh. and for rule books, it you know the general advice that I think is good advice, and this actually goes for a lot of things, is designers shouldn't write their own rule books. Mm-hmm. Just because you're a good designer doesn't mean you're a good technical writer. Someone yeah. else should take the rules and turn them into a technical document, i.e., a rule book, and then hand them back to the designer and say, "Okay, read this. You know, is this the game that you designed?" Mm-hmm. Because you can't. Then they your pass own work. it to a graphic designer. <laughs> so yep. that it's easily laid out and readable, and who then yeah, inserts a comma someplace so that completely changes money. the rules, <laughs> <laughs> and that is why it costs so much money to make a really good game. It's because when once you start paying all of these skilled workers to be able to do these things, and that's why a lot of games have issues with these kinds of things, is because they they are they're real jobs that. You have to pay someone Graphic to do designer. if you want it done right. I got MS Paint on my computer for free. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't need a graphic designer. Michael mentions yeah, and that... And that's what Terraforming Mars did. Pretty <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. Michael mentions that he's been basically for the last eight years writing operator procedure, operating procedures for a nuclear power plant. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be good. You have to know the best way to convey this information. And you need to test it. Like, I'm pretty sur- sure... That there is not a document that Michael has ever written where they're like, great, you're done. Let's just publish this. Find it up. We'll call it good. <laughs> no one else needs to read this. We're good. Let's just send this out. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And, no. and he's, he's confirmed that's the case. Thank God. Um, <laughs> I want to know his opinions on watching the show Chernobyl. <laughs> so many things went wrong. <laughs> so many things yeah. went wrong. Well, even, yeah, even if you do have all the checks and balancing, it's, it's tricky. Well, they didn't. Yes. Midnight at Chernobyl is I, kind of crazy. Like, if I you watch the show and you enjoy it. Don't spoil it. it. I, read, I don't know what read happens. the book. You don't know read. what happens? <laughs> <laughs> That's as good as my dad. Why do you want to watch Titanic? You know how it ends. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the book is really good. The book really goes a lot more into the, the technical side of how things actually went wrong it's very miles very another one of our scientists he's he's working on a the scientific method which is in its 17th version and yeah we call them living documents and i honestly mm-hmm. think more rule books these days should be living documents i think i don't know i kind of go back and forth on this i like opening up a game and having a rule book there i also like the ability for the publisher to change the rules on the fly because sometimes clarifications are necessary. But as it's a- long as it doesn't require changes to the physical game pieces, Correct. like if anything that a card says should stay that way. If you're printing future versions of the game, you can call it a second edition, whatever it is, that is different. But yeah, being able to just like, oh, this rule was unclear, let me clarify. That should be easy enough to change. Yeah. Like Terrence is like, you should never call a document final, which is true. Because if you do, then you're going to end up with the final, final version. And then the yeah. final, final, final version. And then the really final, final, final version. And then the no, 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 really, really final, final, final version. Um, also, don't just use Google final, Docs. Final, <laughs> final, final version two. Final, final yeah. version three. <laughs> uh, it kills me. So That's why yeah. you put it on Git. <laughs> I I like Google Docs for everything because it's live. I can change it and it has a full history and you can comment it. Multiple people can work in it at the same time. It's a great way of like you handling like to move documentation. your cursor around while other people are trying to read the document <laughs> in a way that's very distracting. <laughs> there is that too. You like to um, edit as people are reading. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, quiet. I think it works great. Um so let's talk about what gets tested in playtesting, because I think that many people think that balance is the number one thing that gets tested in like a competitive game is wingspan balance between players. And I believe 
that oftentimes balance is the very last thing that ends up getting tested. Because it doesn't matter how balanced it is if these other things aren't there first. Um, and 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 I'm going to have you guys, you know, say some of these. I know I wrote them, but just just so we can <laughs> spark a conversation. Fletcher, what do I think is the first thing that should be tested? Um, fun. There you go. <laughs> is the game fun? Um, Agree that's or disagree? Probably the most important thing. <laughs> is this fun to play or tedious? But I mean, that's right, though, right? If yeah. the game, like, you can have this great idea in your head, but if it comes out as just like a tedious exercise in pushing cubes around. Uh, like, okay, maybe we shouldn't keep going down that path, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be something interesting and enjoyable about the game. And hopefully you know this early on, you know, is this fun? Is the general game loop fun? Um, and even here we see like, you know, something like Eth- Etherfields, um, one of the biggest complaints there is there's like a giant two-hour section between every mission that you can go on and the missions are a great fun but the two hours in between each one is tedious and boring was that tested did someone think oh no this is a great idea i don't know like it's kickstarter could have gone either way (laughs) nobody Um, knows nobody knows so kitty what is the second thing i think is important rules do they make any sense is there anything um counterintuitive or you've written a word here the word i wanted to write definitely (laughs) (laughs) contradictory or counterintuitive yeah and i think that this is one where this is this is the one where your playtest groups can kind of test this better than anyone hey do these rules make sense um and it's the biggest one i think it's the most probably the most important if the rules are clear yeah you can you can balance things later. These other two kind of go together. How long the game takes and how the game plays at different player counts. And this is also a very important one. Like you don't want a simple card game to take two hours. Yet we see them all the time, right? It's like, <laughs> this should just play, this This game just overstays its welcome. It's fun if it were three rounds shorter or something along those lines. Or you can have Yu-Gi-Oh! Where you're like, okay, cool. I'm just getting started. Oh, oh, it's over. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, that, oh, that oh, was the whole game. Oh, yeah, that was it. Oh, we're done. <laughs> yeah. I didn't play anything. Oh, that's how it's supposed to work. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and then player counts is a big deal too because publishers want to have that number. Like Stonemeyer mm-hmm. literally says it must be a game that plays up to five players, and oh. it must be a game that we can make a solo game. Mm-hmm. And that's a great thing to say. It's a great thing to strive towards. But does it work, right? Is that two-player game and that five-player game, is it the same game? Should the rules just be different between two and five players? Or is there a way of making that more balanced? You see this in worker placement games a lot where, you know, depending on the number of players, you may hide certain action spots. And the games that don't do that, it, the game feels very, very differently at two players versus five players. So you definitely want to test that. And then finally is balance. Yes, you want to balance the game, especially for a competitive game. Um, But for the most part, the illusion of balance is typically okay. And you kind of go from there. Anything I'm missing? Mm. I'm sure there is, but not that I can think of in this moment. I'll think of it later. (laughs) But who knows? (laughs) Miles mentions, does it function to where it can finish? And that's actually a really good point. Like, there are some games that don't end or can Mm -hmm. not end if you do a particular thing. Yeah. But, and that's all those things that you should catch in playtesting. But now let's go to talk to the playtesters. Usually starts out with friends and family. Maybe Mm -hmm. you have a gaming group you go to and maybe you can convince them to play your brand new prototype. Tons of gaming groups who get together to play games love when someone pulls out a bunch of (laughs) post-it notes and three by five cards and saying, hey, I have this great idea for a game. Can you play it with me? Um, Usually you don't get a lot of eye contact that way. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly I'm invisible. (laughs) Why doesn't anyone (laughs) want to look at me? Um, And it's awkward, right? It's, It's like we all have this picture of the person who walks in 
with the sandwich bags of of index cards saying, "Hey, who it's wants you. to play test my game?" Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's just awkward. It's like, "No, I came to play, I don't know, anything published." Um <laughs> I know, will say instead though, of playing too many bones, <laughs> let's play this game I'm trying to make. <laughs> exactly. I will say it's not you, because if it is you, you will say, hey, I went on GameCrafter and printed <laughs> out my game for you guys to play and have taken that extra step of <laughs> making this more insane because I'm Chris. But it's, it, it's the same vibe. <laughs> yeah, it is the same vibe. I will say that if you are the person who wants to play test a game at a gaming group, Go through that extra effort. Grab some art that it is does, public domain. Yeah. Make the game look presentable because it has. Most people are not professional playtesters, and it's hard for them to look past the fact that it's handwritten notes on an index card. But if you actually go through the effort of like making components that are a good quality, I mean, just you know that people want to hold, and it's like, okay, I get this. This is a card. You're going to have a better reception to it. Also, don't go too detailed because then people are just looking at, you know, oh, well, the graphic design here is bad and I wouldn't use this art for that, which also doesn't help when you're testing a game. I vote use MS Paint to draw your own pictures. That's the <laughs> level you should go for. But it should be on a card. It yes, should be typed a- text, MS Paint drawings. Yep. And then really use something make like it the clear. Game Crafter yep, to print out, <laughs> print out cards that feel like cards. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there is one place you can go, or a couple. Those, these two kind of go together, um, that you can go to test your games. And there's actually conventions, pre-pandemic, and I think they're coming back, um, called Unpub. And there's a few others that are similar in, in that way, where the entire convention is meant to bring your unfinished games, and you have agreed to play at least X number of other people's games, and then those people will play yours. So it's kind of like a exchange of resources. I'll play some untested games and then other people will play my untested game. And that's a great way to get, you know, good ideas. All of the people there are are designers. They're used to playing with playtesting components and things like that. So you'll get people that have a good feel for that. Um, Courtney mentions Milwaukee, Madison, Minneapolis. They all have these kind of unpub events. Um, most big conventions, Gen Con, um, uh, da, 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 why am Origins. I missing it? Origins. Um, and even some medium-sized conventions will have playtesting rooms, where the whole point of the room is you set up your game, and you put a sign up, and people will come over and sit down and, and test your game. So you can, you know, and sometimes, like, a lot of very popular games found their starts in these types of games, or these types of areas. So it's it can be kind of fun to check out, hey, what's there? And then, finally, um, it's the more professional, where we have playtest groups or pods. Publishers oftentimes have playtesters, and those playtesters are often volunteers. Um, you do have paid playtesters. Uh, Courtney alluded that she gets paid to playtest. I'm guessing she also has volunteered to playtest. That's probably how she got kind of the foot in the door. You know, oh, you're a volunteer. You gave us really good feedback. We want to keep doing that and keep you doing that. So we are now going to pay you for that level of support. Um, it's surprisingly easy for publishers to get people to volunteer to playtest. It's very difficult for those playtesters to actually be something the publisher wants to keep going back to and using because <laughs> a lot of people just like, oh, wait, I get an early copy of the game to try out? Yeah, let's do that. And then they don't, right? You <laughs> they just... play it once and they're like, this game is broken. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't like it. So... Yeah, I guess that's my my way of saying appreciate your playtesters because it's it is a grueling grueling job. Courtney, we think you're special. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um but yeah, it's it is a grueling job. It is a hard job. It is not a perfect job. No game is perfect. No software, no anything is perfect. It's just normal people trying to do the best they can. And when you take that into consideration, you can look at a game like Wingspan and say, I broke this game. It's the worst. Why didn't they playtest it? And you can say, eh, maybe it's on me. Maybe maybe it's not broken. It's maybe there Chris's is something. fault. <laughs> it's, it is. Chris it's on me. Chris knew what he was doing and he did it anyway. <laughs> yep. 
And maybe you just play by the rules and see what happens. And if enough people say different things, there'll be a second edition and the rules will be changed. If every game were perfect when it was published, there wouldn't be no second editions. Actually, I think that's what I responded to when the person's like, I'm sure they playtested this game and this is what they wanted to have happen. I'm like, well, if that's the case, then why is there ever a second edition if the designers are always right the first pass? But How dare you, Chris? Just, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm a jerk. I can be a jerk. Yes. Ask, ask everyone who knows me. I don't mean to be. I just know everything. And then, you know, some people say I don't. And then I get all offended and stuff. <sighs> I don't know everything. But I know a lot of things. Oh, we know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if everyone else knows because they don't have to read your spelling. They don't. Hey, I will just say that <laughs> my spelling has gotten a lot better over the last 40 years. I used to be better. <laughs> Logic. <laughs> Logic. Uh, um, I also say that logic isn't fun. There are some times where people will look at a game and like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why is it this way or that way? And like, well, sometimes you don't do it that way because it would be more fun to not do it that way. And if you play a game and it's not fun, if it just feels like a you know a boring puzzle on a on a table, yeah. Maybe, maybe you do need to put a little more chaos in there. Maybe you need to undesign it a little bit more. Things are too tight, too mathematically equal. You can lose a lot of the fun of a game. You know, one of my favorite games, um, Century Spice Road. Nah, Century Golem Edition. Um, there are <laughs> cards that are completely worse than others. Side by side. They're worse than each other. But you have to do that because it's not meant to be balanced. It's meant to make you want one thing over the other and feel good when you get that good thing. And when you get the bad thing or you have to take the bad thing, you're like, well, at least I got a lot of gems while it was on it, right? So those imbalances and building that into the system oftentimes are a way of making things a little bit more fun, a little bit more unpredictable um, and you know, increase the replayability of it. All right, that's my lecture on playtesting. Don't do it. Unless How many bored. credits is it? <laughs> How many credits do I get? You get a full credit for sitting through this. And if you do the Yay. homework and, and test a whole bunch of games, then you will get more. I can graduate that's, from that's, Steel University. That's the, that's the lab work. Graduate. Yep. Oh, good time. Good time. Um, all right. We'll find out about fantasy football at the end of this episode. And something else, because we're not just going to talk about fantasy football post-credits. But before we get there, Kitty, save us. Tabletop Game Talk is a part member of the Dice Tower Network. You can be part of our live recording Monday nights at 8.30 Central. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. It is also where you can join us and other listeners in a constant stream of online games at Board Game Arena. The show notes have the links you need, and you can always go to tabletopgametalk.com for more information and to search our growing archive of episodes. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons, Adam Harrison. And Invisalign. (laughs) (laughs) Chris just now can really hear that Invisalign. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's hard to speak. I've only had these for a week. So this is is seven days in. Continue. Uh, (laughs) Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gift of Games, Sahara Wentworth. Jason Strong, Joe, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Benita Hersey, Jim Conrad, Lightning Steve, Gary Bunker, Peter Fleming, Andrew Fayash, John Williams, Sir Sully, Matthew Droke, Jimothy, Paul Romer, Nicholas Lotz, Weatherman Keith, Joe Punman, Leanne Verholst, Stephen Judd, Marina Stevens, Gary, Ben Gary, Sean Peck, Michael Yanikowski, Jeremy Fisher, Christopher Dong, Terrence Miltner, Richard Yassi, Token Fan Forever, Michael Finley, Stephen Falcon, Joe Romero, David Radke, Brian Arnold, Courtney Falk, Ryan Ellett, Dan Seed, Darren McClellan, David Garner, Tony Simpkins, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, Agnes Toth, Ron Nelson, Aaron Moore, Don Gilstrap, Glenn Cotter, Eric Slander, Adrian Dong, Eric Huffman, Jason Rodney, Justin Wheeler, Jerry Wong, Sean P. Kelly, Christy Keel, Monica Witchman, and Michael27. Thanks to everyone who has ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us, past, present, and future. If you want to join our wonderful patrons, check out our webpage, tabletopgametalk.com slash patron. Uh, until next week, keep playing games and having fun.
All right, Kitty, how did your fantasy football week go? Excellent. <laughs> I believe I am one of two players that maintains a 3-0 and record. Um, I, I mean, there's still four <laughs> minutes left in some game, but but the scores are pretty much done. And I'm excited. How did your fantasy football week go, Chris? Well, I am in two leagues. And the first week I lost both. And the second week I won both. So I'm like, all right, I'm back on top. And the third week I lost both miserably. Miserably. Like, miserably. Spencer <laughs> beat me. I was supposed to beat him by like 20 <laughs> points. And he beat me like by 50 points. It was mm. a big week for upsets in the football world, both fantasy and real life. And it it is, yeah, it was a bit wild. Yeah. I was I was not I was not happy. Um, another thing. Have that you looked makes... at Christie's bench? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had a bench that is outscoring my team way too often, and I need to just stop <laughs> trusting the numbers. I just need to stop. Uh, there's one yeah. other thing that annoys me, and for those of you who got T-shirts for TGTCon, apparently. There was a approval I needed to click on that has been being sent to the feedback account, which I only check about once a week. And I just now checked it. And so, yeah, I just approved that at some point. Um, t-shirts will be coming <laughs> Today. So maybe someday, eventually, we'll get T-shirts. Yeah. 